Father, we, uh, we do, uh, once again tonight, we come to you, Lord. We're excited, God, to be able to spend time in your word. And, and uh, Lord, as we, as we are able to look at Zechariah here and watch and see what happened uh, with him and his generation, and uh, God, just the way you used that guy simply because he made himself available, Lord, in some pretty significant ways. I, I pray that it would speak to our hearts. Not only speak to our hearts a message that Zechariah has, but speak to our hearts about his being available and, and putting himself in a position where he can be used by you. So, Lord, have your way with this time. Encourage us, strengthen us, Lord, and, and we want to be men and women who fall more in love with you because we're in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, you know, we've been here for a while. We've been in Zechariah just a little bit. But I kind of want to remind us, get an idea of this guy. I believe he was probably born in, in uh, Babylon. I think he was probably born during the captivity, came out of that. So he'd probably never been to Jerusalem. He finally gets to go and Zerubbabel and, and Joshua and those guys, they've all been there. They've uh, come and they've been there for a while and they've been building. But think about, think about especially I think a Zerubbabel and the discouragement that he's faced. Like him too, probably born in captivity. He finally gets released. He gets there. He's never seen the temple. They didn't have photographs, you know. And so he sees maybe the foundation of it and he starts doing stuff. And then everybody comes against him and it's not just outsiders. Even some of the Jews are coming against him. What's the matter with you? So again, Zechariah is used to encourage Zerubbabel and to get going on this. But the visions, we've seen four visions. Here's what's crazy. I want to remind us once again. Zechariah had eight visions in one night. That's kind of overload, I think. Man, you know, by the end of that, that guy had to melt for a while and just go, just stop. You know, I mean, I mean, this is incredible. I think it would be incredible to have four but he had eight visions, and you remember when we started back in chapter one of Zechariah, he had the vision of the horses, and, and they came, and they represented God moving, and then we had the horns and the craftsmen, and then we had the vision of the surveyor with the measuring line, and then and we saw Joshua getting cleaned up and, and put in a place, and so he's seen all of those. Now we're going to end tonight. We're going to go kind of quickly. We're going to end with four more visions, so eight visions total, and, and they're all pretty complex. Now, I'm a guy that I do not do a lot of spiritualizing of things, and I don't do a lot of symbolizing. You can, you can go online, you can listen to other guys do that, but I think when you do that, you lose the message. Don't ever forget, God was giving these visions to Zechariah for that generation, and some of it goes ahead, some of it is obvious it goes ahead, but when people start, I was reading one commentary uh, uh, today, I wanted to pull my hair out. Like I went page after page after page after page and this is this and this represents this and this represents that and, and you know, hey, I, I understand I'm in love with Jesus too. But then I'm not gonna take every detail and say it's all about Jesus. I think, listen, once again, I think it was for that generation and here's what's going on and when you start doing that, here's the problem. When you start saying this represents this and this represents that, all of a sudden you become the authority and not the word of God. 
And then who are you to argue with me? I'm the authority. I say that's what it represents. And so it gets dangerous at that point. So once again, I'm going to keep it kind of simple. And where it's obvious where it goes ahead, I think we, we should do that. Where it's an obvious representation, that's different. But when he's just showing Zechariah something, and the bottom line, whether we start with the vision in chapter 1 or the last of the visions in chapter 6, bottom line, here's what God is showing him. Zechariah, I am in charge, and I know exactly what's going on, and I'm working, you know, my plan according to my will, and you guys simply need to trust me. That's the overall bottom line. Why? Because they're freaked out. They're scared right now. They got nations coming against them. Like I said, they haven't been there, most of them, before. And the ones who were there before, remember, we saw in Ezra, before we left Ezra. Any of you remember Ezra? Yeah, some of you are like, Ezra? Remember they were whining, the old people, oh, I remember the glory of the old temple and this isn't is working well. That nothing bothers me more than when people want to live in the past. Let's go on, you know, and let's go forward. So we have all of that going on. So they got a lot of stuff, I think, on their plate that they're trying to overcome and God is here encouraging them, you can overcome but listen carefully. You can't overcome because you're overcomers. You can overcome because I'm working my plan. And you need to trust me. And you know, as believers, if we would get more into that message, that we can, you know, we can defeat things in our lives, we can overcome things in our lives, not because we're overcomers, but because God is great. So having said all of that, we're going to get into this vision now in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now the angel who talked with me came, uh, came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. So here's what I'm thinking. He had the four visions and he did this. <sighs> And he conked out, right? He's like wasted. And the angel like is going, hey, dude, we're not done. We got a few more to go here. So get up, get up. And remember, these weren't dreams. They were visions. And he's getting visions. So it's like, come on, come on, Zechariah. We got a few more to go here. So you got to get up, you know, take a couple shots of espresso. And let's get going on this thing. And so he wakes him up as one waking from a sleep, verse 2. And he said to me, what do you see? You know, here's the thing I love about Zechariah. Every time something happens, the angel says, what do you see? And Zechariah generally goes, well, here's what I see, but I have no clue what it is, right? Then he kind of do that. He kind of, well, I can kind of see. So what do you see? And I said, I'm looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven peat pipes to the seven lamps, and two olive trees are by it, one at the right and of the bowl and one at the left of the bowl. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? So obviously he sees a lamp, and listen, a lot of people say this is the menorah. It's not the menorah. It's not even described. Listen, go back, go back in Exodus and read how they made the menorah. This isn't, this isn't the menorah. This is a lamp stand, completely different. It's got, you know, and I don't know how big the branches are, but listen, man, it's got little pipes running. It's got a bowl on top, and we're going to read the two olive trees bleed into the bowl, and the bowl pipes the olive to stuff. Here's the thing. It was an automatic lamp. 
Now, I think, I think, listen, I think the Jews would have appreciated it in their day because they had to keep the lamp going, right? This is on automatic. This is a, you know, this is way advanced. So he's seeing this, and then here's what I love. He goes, listen, I see it, but I don't really see it. In other words, I see the physical thing, but why are you showing me a lampstand? Now, I do, I do agree with what most say. A lampstand a lamp would definitely be a symbol for Israel. Even today, they put a lampstand on a lot of stuff symbolizing. I get that, but I don't think that was all that was. Here's what I think, well, well, we'll talk about as we go on. So he sees that, and he goes, what are these, my Lord? Verse 5, then the angel talked with me, who talked with me, answered and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, that's why I asked you, what are they? <laughs> well, he didn't say it like that, but you know. Listen, this is kind of, hey, I think we should have a little bit of fun as we realize what's going on here, right? It's like, you know, we, we act like it was a holy moment. And everything had to be formal. I think, listen, and I think he goes, dude, I just said I don't know what they are. Why are you asking me? Do you not know what they are, right? So, hey, he goes, I don't know. And I think, I, I personally think, I think Zechariah's a little tired. It's like, why are we going vision after vision? Can we spread these out over a couple months or something? But here we go. So he says, no, my Lord. Verse 6, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So, so think about this. Listen, Zechariah's getting the vision, and he's going to see these things, and here's what God's saying. Now, you've got to take what you see, and you've got to go tell Zerubbabel, and you have to be that one who's going to encourage Zerubbabel, who's so discouraged right now. Hey, I believe with all my heart, man. I believe Zerubbabel was ready to, like, just throw it all in, and let's just go home. I'm tired of this. You know, it's one thing, hey, it's one thing to do ministry and work for the Lord and do things for the Lord and have the world against you, but it's a whole nother thing when, when people close to you are against you or let's say the church, you're trying to serve the church and the church comes against you. And that's what Zerubbabel has experienced, man. The Jews, they're telling him, why are you doing this? This is a waste of time. The old guys are going, boo, boo. It's not like the, you know, we had a really nice temple when I left here and now what you're building looks like a, looks like terrible. And, and they're whining. And, and so I think he's ready to quit. So here's what God's saying. I want you to go talk to him. And then listen carefully. This is one, a lot of us know this in, in verse six. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hey, Zerubbabel, if you wanna do this thing, you can't do it by military might and you can't do it by human power. You gotta do it by my spirit. Oh, what did he just see? Go back. What did he just see? Lampstand with perpetual oil. Oil, spirit. Kind of makes a little sense, right? And here's what he's saying, man. You, if you try and do God's work in your own power, you're going to fail miserably. And you're going you know, to continually be fighting and working. You've got to trust the Lord, and you've got to allow the Lord to work, and you've got to allow him to work in his time. We're going to see that in a moment. But listen, think about back when, when Solomon built the temple. Those of you who were with us during that time when we were studying kings and chronicles and putting that together, think about it, man. Solomon, Solomon had it made. You know, people go, well, he built such a wonderful temple. Yeah, his dad set him up, 
right? He got all the material for him. He got everything for him. And he says, hey, hey uh, Solomon, just one thing, man. Be strong in the Lord. Trust the Lord. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's kind of easy to trust the Lord when you got all this stuff. Zerubbabel's having to trust the Lord. He's got nothing. And totally opposite, and maybe even Zerubbabel's thinking, if I had that military strength that Solomon had, if I had all of that stuff that Solomon got given, then I could build the temple. Here's what you need to know. If Solomon was blessed by that, but it was still God who built the temple. And you can't look at God's working in somebody else's life or somebody else's ministry and get all caught up in that. Here's what you need to do. If God has given you a ministry, you need to focus on that ministry and you need to allow the spirit to work through you doing that ministry and allow him to flow through you and do that work. And here's what he's saying, man, it's not by might nor is it by power, but it's by my spirit. And a lot of us are shaking our head, yeah, but you know what? We go into ministry and we go trying to do it all on our own. And then we whine. Why isn't this working, God? And he says, because I told you, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So that's a word for Zerubbabel. Moreover, the word of the Lord, I'm sorry, uh, verse seven, why are you, o, or who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace and grace to it. Here's what he's saying, man. You know what that mountain is? That mountain is a mountain of obstacles. And who are you, O mountain, to Zerubbabel? That mountain is gonna fade away. Didn't Jesus tell us we could move mountains? Listen carefully. Jesus wasn't telling us we could go rearrange the topography of the world. That would be weird, right? Whenever I hear people like they wanna take that literal and they go, well, I could rearrange. No, you can't go. You can't go move the Wachuca Mountains to Alaska and the mountains from Alaska to here. You can't do that. He's not talking about that. What's he talking about? The mountains in our life, the things that come against us, the things that bring us the greatest fear and trepidation as we're serving. And he goes, hey, Zerubbabel, all those mountains, all of those things you're thinking about, the Jews coming against you, the Gentiles coming against you, kings and rulers, and you don't have enough material, all those things that are bumming you out, here's what you need to know, man. You can make them as a plane. Just walk through them. Just walk through them. And he tells him that, and he says, and you're gonna bring forth that capstone. Now, how does God know Zerubbabel is gonna bring forth the capstone? Because God is going to see to it. Listen to what he says. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. Remember, 10 years ago they laid the foundation. Don't forget that. It's been 10 years. And he's gone through. Now it's all that discouraging time. And he goes, hey, you laid the foundation. Here's what I love, man. The hands of Zerubbabel laid the foundation, and his hand shall also finish it. Wow. I bet you Zerubbabel underlined that in his Bible. Well, he didn't, you know, what's his name, spoke it to him. So he underlined his lips or something. But man, what a, what a promise. You started it and you're gonna finish it. Once again, it's not because you're great, Zerubbabel. It's because I'm great. It's because I'm your God and I'm on your side. So and he says, listen, he says, you've done it. And he says, you... Uh, your hands shall finish it, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Again, that's Zechariah speaking to Zerubbabel. A lot, a lot of Z's going on, huh? Zechariah's telling Zerubbabel, here's what the Lord says. When that happens, you're gonna know that God really sent me. I love that about the Old Testament prophets. You know, today some people claim they're prophets, but they never say, hey, if it doesn't come through, then you'll know God didn't send me. 
because gen- generally it doesn't come through. So here's what he's saying, man. I'm telling you this, and then, and then another part of this a lot of us have, have uh, either memorized or meditated on, right? Verse 10, for who has despised the day of small things? Why do you get uptight, man, when you're starting out? And, and you know, you gotta start somewhere, right? You gotta begin somewhere. And I think that's kind of a problem in our nation right now with certain things going on and certain things happening. It seems like younger people are getting younger and younger that think they need to start as executives and on top and, you know, and and do things. Hey, here's what he's saying. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't look so down on those. Those are okay. You got to start somewhere. I remember, you know, I remember back when I was doing Bible studies in, in, in Bisbee and I would do a Thursday night Bible study, sometimes one person would show up. I was pretty amazed that one person would show up. One person would show up. Now, obviously, I didn't do a study like this. I would sit and we would just talk and, and do a personal one. And then we, I came to, when I first came to Calvary Sierra Vista, our Thursday night was tiny. I mean, sometimes we had four people and three of them were related to me. It gets a little tough. We didn't have any worship. I remember talking to a young guy last year, one of the young guys going out, and, and I always love having conversations with young guys because, you know, again, they think they should have a church of 18,000 people when they go start their first Sunday. And, and this young guy was like, Man, what am I going to do? I don't think I'm going to have worship on Thursday night or Wednesday night. And what am I going to do? And I go, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put on your big boy pants, first of all, Secondly, you're just going to go up and teach. I'm going to go up and teach without worship? Yeah. I did it for five years out on Hereford Road. We had no worship before our Thursday night study. I just got up and taught. You just teach the Bible. I go, hey, what did God call you to do? Worship or teach the Bible? He called me to teach the Bible. I said, then get up and teach the Bible. He'll bring a worship leader eventually. Right? So just do not despise the days of small beginnings. Listen, small things turn into big things. And then, then he tells him, continuing on in verse 10, for these seven rejoice to see. Now, this is what I love. Listen, these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord. Remember a couple chapters ago, we saw the seven eyes of the Lord. And here's what he's saying, man. I got my eyes on you. And Zerubbabel, man, the Lord rejoices when you're holding up that plumb line in your trying to figure out what to do and, and you're looking at it. Now, well, the one commentator I read that had, had a, uh, a symbol for everything we've read so far, it took 30 pages to get this far. And then he goes, the plumb line, the plumb line. I don't know what the plumb line is. And I want to, you know, that's when I wish I could communicate with him. I got a hint for you. The plumb line was a plumb line. It's not real deep, right? He says, hey, here's what he's saying. The eyes of the Lord are rejoicing because Zerubbabel is being faithful to what he's called to. And he says he rejoices to see that. And and they are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro, the end of verse 10, throughout the whole earth. Then I answered, this is Zechariah talking to, remember he's talking to the angel, right? He's having this vision. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? What is it? He's going, man, listen, I'm seeing this lampstand and I'm seeing these olive trees and I'm kind of seeing this thing happening and the olive oil is somehow dripping out of the olive trees. By the way, that does not happen. 
right? You usually gotta press the olives down to get olive oil, right? But this is, this is like, this is a crazy, crazy vision. And he says, verse 12, and I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the gold oil drains? So he's going, what? Here's what he's saying. What on earth is going on? This is just weird, now, again, you can say they represent this, they represent that, they're part of this, it's the Holy Spirit, it's a, you know, an ending uh, uh, flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. That would, that's a good thing. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's obvious. But listen, then, then here's what the angel said in verse 13. Then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? I'm thinking, it's what I just said, man. <laughs> I do not know. And I said, no, my Lord. He's got a lot of patience, doesn't he? So he said to me, these are the two anointed one who stands beside the Lord of the whole earth. Oh, wow, what is he? Well, now again, that's a little bit, that's a, I, think that's a, I think that's a little bit cryptic. But I believe, listen, I'm gonna keep it simple. I believe they're representing Zerubbabel and Joshua. The two who are doing the work, the two who were called, the two who needed to be filled with the Spirit. I believe that. Now, some people go, no, 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 no. They're, they're you know, and they, and they start in a whole thing. We're gonna see in a little bit. They're the Messiah and the King and, and they're this and they're that. And they, you know, and, and I just think, I just think, I don't think it's that complex. I don't think God is expecting all of us to get a decoder ring and figure these things in. And listen, He's speaking to a generation of people that are sitting there in Jerusalem wanting to do a work, but they're afraid to do the work. And he says, hey, I've got my anointed guys there and they're gonna do this work because the spirit is gonna flow through them as they minister to you because I've anointed them for this very task. You didn't choose Josiah. You didn't choose Zerubbabel. I chose them. And they're there for you. So I, I kind of think it's that simple. Some people say, no, I think they're the two guys from Revelation 11. And I think you have been smoking something. <laughs> it's just like, man, that is a big, long reach to get the two witnesses out of Revelation 11 and drag them into Zechariah. You know, and that, that, and then they go, no, you have to understand. Zechariah was looking all the way in to the tribulation period. okay. And that's just what I say. I just say, okay, I'm going to read it and keep it simple for me because I'm a simple guy. So listen, he says that. He kind of gets through that. And, and you know, it's kind of sad because we have chapters and we think, okay, he kind of took a break. So just imagine, he just got done with this and, and, and the angel just told him, hey, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Then I turned and I raised my eyes and, and, and saw there a flying scroll. So, hey man, you just saw this thing and you kind of turn this way and <laughs> this thing's going by and you're thinking, this is, this is insane. Listen, we read this and we think, no big deal. This scroll, well, let me, let me read this. Listen, he says, here was the scroll, and he said to me, what do you see? So I answer, I always love it. The angel asks, I always asks him, what do you see? And again, I see the same thing you see, right? We're looking at the same thing. He says, so I answered and I said, and this is just bizarre, right? I see a flying scroll like it's, like it's normal, right? He's just talking to the angel, what do you see? Well, I see a flying scroll. Like scrolls don't fly, 
right? I see a flying scroll, and then listen to this. I see a flying scroll, and its length is 20 cubits, and its width is 30 cubits, or, or I'm sorry, and its, and its width is, is uh, 10 cubits. So it's like 30 by 15 feet. So this, <laughs> this 15-foot thing goes flying by. <laughs> that would be pretty dramatic, wouldn't it? I mean, again, don't read it and just act like, well, well, it happened every day, man. Scrolls just flew by every day. Well, they did if someone was throwing books at you, I guess, all the time. But, hey, this had to be incredible for him to look at this. Now, the dimensions, here's what I love. So the dimensions happen to be the same exact dimensions of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Not the temple, but the tabernacle Moses, Moses uh, uh, built. So, you know, they make a big deal. It's the exact same thing. Must mean something. Yeah, here's what it means. They were the same measurements. Oh, and it was the same measurements as the porch that Solomon built that was known as Solomon's porch where they read the law from. Now, you know, you can, you can run with that all you want and you can do a whole bunch of stuff with that. And it's okay. Here's what I think he saw. I think he saw a scroll that was flying through the air that actually was pretty large, right? 15 by 30 feet, that's a huge book. Right? I mean, you don't take that on trips with you. And so there's this thing, and it's flying through the air. And then he said to me in verse 3, he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. You know, for the next couple visions, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see God cleansing Israel and cleansing the earth from sin so that they can do the ministry they're called to do, okay? So he says, hey, this is a curse. This flying scroll is a curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth and every thief shall be expelled according to this, uh, according to this side of the scroll and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse says the Lord of hosts and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name and it shall remain in the midst of the house and consume it with its timber and its stones. Okay, so now verse five. No, I'll t- <laughs> it's kind of, it's you read that and you're going, okay, well, uh, so, you know, one thing I think, I think we can, we can see that obviously two sides of the scroll. For the thief has to do, and I think it's kind of doing something a little bit with the commandments, right? The second table of the commandments is don't do things against your neighbor. It's talking about your relationship with man. The first side is your relationship with God. That's taking the Lord's name in vain, perjury, lying, swearing by the Lord. So here's what he's saying. This scroll is representing to me the law, and the law is gonna come in, and it's gonna start wiping things out. And the law is going to be the standard by which everything's measured, not your own feelings, not what you think is right and wrong. That always cracks me up when people say, well, here's how I think it should be. Well, I'm glad you're not in charge. God is in charge, God has given us the standard, and God has laid it out, and here's what he's saying, man. We need to purge Israel. Listen, you guys all came out of, came out of Babylon, and the bad thing that they did bring from Babylon is they, they got pretty commercial. Listen, in Babylon, they couldn't be their agrarian society anymore. They had to learn to, you know, do some trades and work things and become commercialized. And then they became pretty good at it. And then they, they finessed it a little bit. And, and they got to where maybe even they were cheating a little bit and doing certain things. Hey, there's nothing wrong with, you know, taking a commercial adventure and doing something well. But if you manipulate things and cheat, and that's kind of what was going on. And God says, hey, I'm going to wipe all that out. 
and I'm going to take care of that. So he sees that, right? So he sees man, he sees all of that. Then verse 5, then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift up your eyes now and see uh, what this is that goes forth. And here's what I'm thinking. No. I am tired of visions. I'm just going back in the house and you do whatever you're going to do. And he says, so I asked, what is it? And he says, it is a basket that is going forth. So now we have this uh, sign where, and, and some of your translations might say it is an ephah. An ephah was a measure that they used that was like a bushel. And so it would, it, he's kind of saying like it's an it's a ephah basket, right? And so this basket is floating by. That's what he's seeing. So, hey, you've got flying books, Right? And now you've got this, this basket, and it's just like, and you're watching a basket, right? And he says, hey, here's this basket, and he says, uh, he says and he also said, this is their uh, resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this, is, and, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. So there was this heavy lid. They lift up the lid, and there's a woman in the basket. Now, that's a little weird, right? That's a little bizarre. Once again, you got you to remember, this guy's seeing this. Like, we read it, and we go, eh, really? Really, that's what's happening? He's looking in there, and there's a woman sitting in there. Now, obviously, it was like, I dream a genie type of woman, kind of small, because a real woman wouldn't fit in the basket, right? He says, listen, there's a woman sitting in there. Then he said to me in verse 8, this is wickedness, so... This woman represents wickedness. He's not saying all women are wicked. I want to clarify that. A lot of ladies here tonight, so he's not saying that. He's not saying women represent wickedness. He said this one is wickedness, okay? So the lid, so here's what he does. Listen, this is wickedness, and he thrust her down in the basket. Sounds like she was trying to get out. He thrust her down in the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. So he just pushed her back down, poof, put the lid back on. I guess she wasn't strong enough to get the lid off, shuts it, and now, listen, now here's where it gets really strange. Then I raised my eyes and I looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings, like wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between the earth and the heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar when it's ready and the basket will be set there on its base. So here's, what, here's what's going on. Remember, what are we doing? We're cleansing, we're cleansing the area, right? So the scroll comes in and begins to cleanse sin and deal with sin and, and get the whole idea of this is sin and this is right and this is wrong and that begins happening. So again, that's to me pretty simple. It's representing a cleansing. And then, hey, now we're gonna take wickedness. We're gonna take wickedness far away. The land of Shinar is Babylon. We're gonna take it back to Babylon. We're gonna build a house for it. We're gonna keep wickedness in Babylon. You know, and again, I'm, I'm not sure he's going all the way. Some people say he's talking about the tribulation. I'm not so sure of that. But he says, hey, we're going to push all this away. And God is going to take care of it, and God is going to take it. So, you know, it's, it's 1,600, 2,000 miles away. That's what's going on. So, again, I think, I think Zechariah goes, okay, that's not real complicated. You can make it more complicated, and you can try and figure out why was there two, why did they have wings, and what did they do, and what did the wings represent, what did the stork represent, what did the, hey, it was just a couple angels, angelic beings, 
whisking away this basket. So now, verse, or chapter six, verse one. Then I turned and raised my eyes. Now can you imagine these things happening like that? So what have we seen? We've seen the candle thing. Oh, and we gotta go back. We saw horses and et cetera, et cetera. And now we've seen the candle thing. Then we saw the thing flying. Then we saw the woman in the basket. And I turn around and now something else is going on, right? And it's sort of interesting to me. Then I turned, raised my eyes, and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. So he turns and he sees now chariots coming. Oh, and let's, let's look a little bit more. It says in verse 2, the first chariot, uh, with the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth uh, chariot dapple horses, strong steeds. Now, I think the strong steeds represents all of them were strong, you know, not just the last group. So he looks and he sees. Now, what's interesting is go back to, you know, not right now, but later on, go back to chapter one. What did the vision start with? Four horses, same colors. And now it's kind of coming full circle, right? And these aren't just four horses. These are a multitude of horses pulling the chariots that he sees coming between two mountains that are bronze. Now, you know, some people say one is the Mount of Olives, one is Mount Moriah. I've been to Israel. Neither one of those are bronze. So I'm not sure exactly. I think it's some kind of judgment. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, bronze was usually about judgment. And so maybe the horses are coming, bringing or coming through some kind of judgment. And now they're coming and, and he sees them in the different colors. And, you know, again, I'm not sure. We can go with the whole thing out of Revelation. The red represents war and bloodshed. The black, calamity and distress. The white, victory and joy. And the dapple or the gray kind of plagues and pestilence. We can go with that if you want want I'm not even sure that's what it's all about he's seeing chariots coming what's the theme that we're looking at eradicating sin or getting rid of sin from the area so that you can do what God has called you to do so he sees these then verse five four then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me what are these my lord and the angel answered and said to me These are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. The white are going uh, after them and the dapple are going uh, toward the south, toward the south country. So here's what I find kind of interesting is that, that two of them go towards the north, one goes towards the south and the red ones kind of disappeared. So that's why I think we can't put a lot of emphasis on this represents this, this represents that. I think it's more a cleansing thing, a cleansing thing going on. So he says they go, and they go north and south because if you go west, you're gonna go into the Mediterranean Ocean, and if you go east, you're gonna go into the Arabia Desert. So maybe that's why they just went those two directions and they're gonna cleanse things. And then in verse six, the... uh, the one, verse six says, the one with the black, I'm sorry, verse seven, then the strong steeds went out. Now listen, I don't think he's saying those four went out and then the strong ones went out. I think he gave us the directions they're going and then he goes, now 
Let's read it that way. Now the strong steeds are going out. The black, the white, the dapple, they're going out, right? So don't kind of, because some people, as, as I read, said, well, there's a whole other group. There's the strong ones. No, they're all strong steeds. So he says, then the strong steeds went out, eager to go that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, go walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth. And he called to me, and spoke to me saying, see, those who go toward the north country has given rest to my spirit in the north country. Remember, there's still Jews in Babylon and Babylon is north and they went and they gave rest. So, those, so again, those are God's angels, God's workmen going out through the earth to take care of things that are going on. So those are all the visions. Aren't you glad? We're done. We're done with Zechariah's visions, and he has these visions. Now, he's got one last thing going on here that I find pretty incredible, and I think this is where, hey, I think we go out into the millennial time because of what happens, but in the beginning, listen, it says, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, receive the gift from the, capt- uh, from the captives from Hildal, or Hildai, uh, Tobijah, and Jediah." who have come from Babylon. So here's three guys. Here's what's going on. Here's three guys coming from Babylon, and they got some gold and silver. Now, I don't think this is a vision. I think these guys are coming. I think he's done with his vision, right? He says, you receive the gifts from them and go the same day. Here's what he's saying. The same day you had the visions, you go and you're gonna receive the gifts from these guys and you go and you enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, and you take the silver and the gold and you make an elaborate crown and you set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, I don't know, man, reading that, don't you think that's a little bit like, that's a little weird? Like priests didn't get crowns. The priest had a turban. Remember, we saw, we saw Josiah got the turban, right? The clean, clean turban. He remember, he got the clean clothes a couple weeks ago, the clean turban. Now he says, man, listen, I want you to go make this crown, and I want you to put this crown on, on, Jos, uh, on Jos, uh, Josiah. Now, here's what I'm thinking, or Joshua, I'm sorry, on Joshua. Here's what I'm thinking. I would, if I were Zechariah, I'd be going, excuse me, Mr. Angel, you sure you didn't mean Zerubbabel? Because Zerubbabel's the one who's going to rule the people, not just, you know, Joshua is just the high priest. Why am I putting a crown on him? Hmm. A little different. A little thing going on here. And then, listen, he says, you put it on uh, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And then verse 12, then speak to him saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. Now here's where I think, here's where I think it zooms out. Remember, these guys see one vision and it can be, millennial years apart from each other, thousands and thousands. So listen to what he says. Then he spoke to me and he said, behold the man. Huh? Sound familiar? Yeah, huh? Behold, listen, behold the man whose name is the branch. What did we learn out of chapter three? Those of you who were with us in chapter three, the branch is the Messiah. So right, behold the man, the branch, he says, from his place he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall build the temple, yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory and he shall sit and rule on his throne, 
the Lord's throne, and he shall be a priest on his throne. What is that saying? Listen, he shall be a priest and a king. Who's the priest and king? There's only one, the Messiah. He's looking out at that, and he says, listen, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now, here's what I'm thinking. He's saying, hey, here's what's gonna happen. The priest and the king are going to come together. The council of both shall be peace. They're gonna come together under this one man, the man. Behold the man, the branch. And so he has this representation where he puts this crown on, on Joshua, and then all of a sudden, man, in his mind, it goes all the way out there into the millennial kingdom and into the time when Jesus comes and rules and reigns and sits on his throne. That would be pretty incredible for him. Now, why would God do that? I think for this reason. Keep building that temple, guys. Keep working because I'm working my plan. I'm in control of things. I know exactly what's going on. I haven't lost it. I haven't forgotten anything. I know what's going on. And then, listen, then verse 14. Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord for Helam, uh, uh, which is another name for, uh, what's his name in the beginning? Heldai. So it's, uh, I don't know why they changed his name. And Tobijah and Jediah and Han, which is another name for uh, Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. So listen, it's going to be a memorial for these guys. Given even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. So here's what he's saying, man. You're going to put that in a place in the temple. So that's kind of interesting to me. Here's the thing. I'm reading this, and this is the first time I picked up on it. Now you got this crown, and they put the crown someplace in the temple that Zerubbabel and, and uh, uh, Joshua built. Ezra, Nehemiah were involved. I don't, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, the thing I'm throwing out there is there was a crown in that temple someplace as a memorial to what just happened for Zechariah. Zechariah's not seeing a vision. This took place. He actually built a crown from the gold, put it in this place. So it's kind of interesting. And then he says, listen, they're going to come from all over. They're going to build. That's, again, telling me maybe that's a millennial temple. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass. Listen carefully. Here's the key. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. What's going to come to pass? Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. But you know, you gotta be in the place and it's not so much you're obeying to make God do it. You gotta be obedient to the Lord in order to see what the Lord is doing. The Lord's doing a work. The Lord's doing a work in our midst. The Lord's doing a work in, in our fellowship. But if you're out there and you're doing this and you're doing that and you're not focused, you're not walking with him, you're not with him, you're not gonna see what the Lord's doing. You're just gonna just be going through life and doing life and probably making somewhat of a mess. But as you focus on God and you obey what God does, uh, has you do and you obey what he puts before you, here's what you're gonna see. You're gonna see God doing some amazing things and you're gonna be blown away by what he does. And that's what, you know, to me, the whole thing wraps up here. Hey, you wanna see all of this? You wanna see those Horseman we talked about, you want to see the guy with the measuring line? You want to see Joshua get all cleaned up? Hey, you want to see the candelabra? You want to see the flying scroll and the woman in the basket? You want to see the chariots? Then you know what? Walk with God. 
Walk with God and stay close to God because those who are close to God see those things. You know, this morning I was doing a Bible reading and, and uh, Elijah, I don't know how many of you are doing a Bible reading. It was uh, Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah takes off. And who sees him? Elisha, why? He was not, I'm, I, I love that section because Elijah keeps going, stay here. Nope, I ain't staying here, man. Ain't no way. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And he just keeps steadfast and doing that. That's what the Lord wants from us. And I, I see that same thing here. Zerubbabel, you want to finish this temple? Then trust me. You don't have to do it by power or by might. You just have to trust the Lord. And I found doing ministry can get really, really hard. Or it can be something you're doing in the spirit. That doesn't mean tough things don't happen. But it means you're not striving. And you're not trying to work to maintain something. But you're trusting God to do it. And that's where we need to be. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the challenge that we read here. And once again, God, we can make this super complicated and, and spend, you know, two nights on each chapter trying to detail everything and, and get microscopic about every little detail. Or Lord, we can understand that you were talking to a generation that were hanging out, that had done that 1,600 mile, the 2,000 mile journey back to Jerusalem. And they're working away and they're becoming discouraged. They want to give up, they want to quit. Their leaders are even in the place where they're done, they're finished. And God, you bring this guy called Zechariah and you pour these visions through him not just so that we can go, wow, that guy had amazing visions. And this represents this, and this represents that, and this is looking at this future thing, and this is, but you gave him a vision to get a group of people back on track so that they can serve you, so that they begin to walk in your ways and honor you with their lives. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us tonight as we, we think about Zechariah and what he got to see. God, that we would be people who would draw close to our Lord. And we would be people who hang on to you tenaciously, Lord, and we do not let you go. And God, that you're honored with our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.